All right. Okay, Dan. Let's see. Hadn't started yet here. Okay. Okay. So, well, Dan, the as we were saying right before we turned the recorder on, congratulations for uh, beginning to get things correct. Thank you. Uh, and that what we could do is that we can put things in context of the Eightfold Noble Path and how the Eightfold Noble Path fits into uh, the practice of Anapanasati itself okay. and where Anapanasati with the Eightfold Noble Path uh, points out some details and things like this that makes the practice more complete to where mostly what's come to the West is like a jigsaw puzzle of the whole teaching of the Buddha with a couple of pieces gone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Very much like a Leroy Brown version of the Dhamma has come to the West. <laughs> I get it, I get it, okay. I suppose you're old enough to know that song. I'm drawing a blank. Okay. Uh, uh, he's like a junkyard dog, a jigsaw puzzle with a couple of pieces gone. <laughs> okay, yes. <laughs> there we go. Yeah. Is uh, something, something, Leroy Brown, the uh, maddest man in the whole damn town. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Meaner that than a bad. junkyard dog. <laughs> <laughs> And so, uh, uh, yeah, a couple of pieces are missing from the Dhamma uh, in the West. And that because of that, it remains at a kind of an ordinary mundane level. Mm -hmm. And to, to give an example of that, that the Buddha would, would actually state, and in fact in the suttas it specifically does state as examples of what is mundane right thought is thoughts of um, renunciation, thoughts of uh, uh, kindness and goodwill, uh, and uh, let's see, what was the other one? Oh, thoughts of harmlessness, or Abby himself. Now, these are the qualities mm -hmm. that are actually advertised as some of the star points of Buddhism. And that they find also analogies or close relatives within other religions. Yep. Mm -hmm. Okay. That somewhere down at the bottom of Christianity, way deeply buried under the bottom of Christianity, in fact, is the idea of harmlessness. Mm -hmm. Thou shalt not kill or whatnot like that or to be the good Samaritan and that right. kind of stuff. And that is wholesome in the sense that it is uh, better than uh, violent. So you could say, in fact, that there are three ways of thinking. There is wrong view, a mm -hmm. wrong sankapa, wrong ways of thinking are based upon the wrong views, is, is that I can get away with anything, that there are no rules. Uh, that there is no law of karma, that if there is a God, he'll forgive me, and I'm good to go. Mm -hmm. Bad. And so I will go bad, and that's okay, because I'll get away with it somehow. This is wrong view. 
this is the kind of place to where even the warlords get stabbed in the bank by their lieutenants. <laughs> they can, that there is no government even to the point of the warlords because they're going to get stabbed too. Because everybody right. has that attitude of, I can get away with it. Yeah. Okay. This is the yeah. state of that Darwin would, would call survival of the fittest. Mm. And there is very, very little society or culture that can come out of that. It stays the jungle. But civilization means that we have to have some rules here. And the basic rule of all is the rule of comma. You do good, you'll get good results. And if you do bad, you'll get bad results. But you can carry that to the extreme because the other guys will say, oh, no, I can get away with it. And the guy that says, well, you can't get away with it. And I'll make sure that you can't get away with it. We're going to hire some police. I'm going to make sure you can't get away with it. We're going to build an army. I'm going to make sure you can't get away with it because even if you're dead, I've got a God that's going to come get you. <laughs> yep. Okay. Yep, yep. This is, so this is ordinary right view that gives rise then to the ordinary ideas of what is goodness. <clears throat> but the teachings of the Buddha is about noble right view. The mm. higher mind. And so that higher mind is what we're actually wanting to develop in Anapanasati. And by doing so, we must then know the difference and the distinction between what kind of thoughts are right thought or wrong thought. And in the guard to right thought, is this a just an ordinary right thought, a good thought, or is this a noble right thought or good thought? Now, one's right effort then at the noble level is to uh, change unwholesome thoughts, wrong thoughts, or ordinary right thoughts, to remove them and to bring in noble thoughts. Okay. Okay. This is, in fact, part of the Anapanasati that a lot of people don't understand. But this is very clear in the suttas, that one's right effort is to remove the unwholesome thoughts and insert wholesome thoughts. And most meditators uh, are quite spotty at this because they don't recognize the significance of it. That there are many things that can happen along the way, and one of the things that happens commonly, uh, perhaps it happened to you at one time, and maybe even from time to time now, and that is, is that sati comes, wake up, we recognize that the mind is in hindrances, but instead of removing the hindrances, we have a pity party about hindrances. <laughs> yeah, okay. it's so comfortable sometimes. Yeah. Oh, right. I feel so tired. Oh, poor me. Or uh, uh, another one is, darn those hindrances. This monkey mind is, I mean, this meditation is hard work. Those yeah. hindrances are terrible. All right. Yeah. These are all wrong thoughts keeping us struggling, even though we desire to come out of them, but we don't do them correctly. And because of that, the meditator makes very, very, very slow progress. Mm -hmm. And and the slow progress is, is because he moves either from one unwholesome thought to another unwholesome thought to another 
or a mixture of wholesome thoughts and ordinary thoughts that we could also even go so far as to call junk thoughts <laughs> rather than really high quality noble thoughts. Yeah. And so we have to learn what are high quality noble thoughts and what thoughts are uh, like, uh, dang, I want out of these hindrances. That's an ordinary right view, but it's not liberating right, right then and there. A noble liberating thought would be, ah, I see you, out you go. With effort? With the right effort. Okay. And now right effort here, noble right effort, is the least amount of work necessary to actually get uh -huh. the job done. And that okay. most Westerners put in either way too much effort or not enough. But in fact, the likelihood is, is that when they finally wake up, when they have a good teacher who can point out, look, you're working way too hard. Then the next option is for them to not is to give up all of the work and not work enough. <clears throat> to where this is the middle path. To balance. Yeah. And yeah, so noble, okay. right effort, noble right effort then is just enough, just enough to get the actual job done. Many examples of that, but I'll give you this is just uh, a, a way of, of looking at it. Imagine that you're standing in the road and you see a great big uh, delivery truck semi bearing right down on you at high speed. What are your choices? Get out of the way or stay there. Or try to stop the truck. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we call that Popeye. Popeye's <laughs> going to stand there and stop that truck. And a lot of us are out there. I mean, people in politics are actually trying to stop the truck of politics right now, some of them. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's true. And they're getting about the same results as if they just stand in the road and let the truck hit them. <laughs> yeah. All right. And in fact, that's the worst. The worst is to see the truck coming, know it's going to hit you, and then it hits you. Why? Because if it if you didn't see it coming and it hits you, you don't start suffering until you hit it hits you. But if you see yeah. it coming and you let it hit you, now you're suffering in advance, unnecessary suffering. Yeah, and that suffering would multiply by your fear, I guess. Especially if it might not, in fact, be a real truck. <laughs> <laughs> and so you were right, though. You Excellent. Right answer is you step out of the way because that's, in fact, the least effort. Yeah. The least amount of effort that actually gets the job done. What's the got, job got done? I didn't get run over. I didn't get hit. I'm fine. I'm good to go. I'm okay. No dukkha. Yeah. And I'm satisfied. So that's one's right effort is to just merely stand out of the way or just merely change okay. the thought that we're having from mm -hmm. an unwholesome thought into an un into a wholesome thought. Because if we have that unwholesome thought in the mind, the likelihood is the next mind moment is going to be yet another unwholesome thought. 
Mm-hmm. And that might go for days or hours for some people. One unwholesome thought after another after another. Uh, yes, the spiral. I'm familiar. Okay, so what we then uh, have to do is, is that we have to, with sati, in the Eightfold Noble Method, we have four important things. The Eightfold Noble Path, we boil it down to four of them because mm-hmm. um, we're not going to work with uh, uh, Sila at a beginner's level here. We assume that you already uh, uh, have basic enough Sila, at least when you're sitting with your eyes closed, that you're not killing people then. <laughs> And if you are, still it's just a thought. So let's parry the the, the uh, path or the Eightfold Noble Path down to the basics to get started. Okay. And that is right view the, mm-hmm. that I just talked about. Wrong views, right views, and noble right views. With that, the most important one is sati. Because we're actually sati is a skill to be developed. Mm-hmm. And that uh, all of these things are skills to be developed. And that if we don't remember to develop the skills, then we won't develop them. And if we have developed the skills and we don't remember to put them in play, then it's like we didn't develop them at all. Yeah. In that regard, sati comes first. It's the first thing that happens. And the way that I would define sati would be wakey-wakey, to wake up. To wake up and, and basically to wake up and smell the coffee, I'm, no doubt you've heard that. Mm-hmm. Well, that's actually turn your senses on. Wake up enough that you can actually be here now enough to actually smell the aroma of the coffee. Mm-hmm. But then you wake up all the senses, especially the body, so that we can actually be here now. To wake up and be here now. <clears throat> mm-hmm. That's what Sati is all about. And with that is investigation. To wake up to be here now, and to look at what's going on, mm-hmm. both inside and outside, to really start paying attention, to do an investigation with the intention of figuring out what's wholesome, what's ordinary, what's unwholesome, and what's noble. Mm-hmm. And by making that decision, then, of every thought, we begin to guard the mind. Is this a wholesome thought or not? And then, by asking that question, that's the kind of a thought itself. And because we're asking that question, then the next kind of thought that we could have would be, Aha, I see you, Mara. Aha, I Mm. caught that. Ah, I just investigated and I just found an unwholesome thought still lingering, the whooping of it as it passed by. I can still smell the exhaust of that bad thought. (laughs) And I don't need to stand in the road getting hit by the next one. So with that, now we're um, percolating because now that we put in right view, right investigation and right sati, now's the time to take the right effort to change What's in the mind, except guess what? We just did anyway. We've already done the right effort because now we're investigating. We found that it was unwholesome and we can say, aha, I see you, Myra. And that kind of thought is actually a gladdening of the mind. It's changing. It's brightening the mind. And it's a wholesome kind of thought. 
And then the next thoughts would be the thoughts of actually things are quite safe here, that I don't have to have dangerous thoughts because this is a safe place. I don't have to have thoughts of uncomfortableness because actually I'm sitting here comfortable. I don't have to have thoughts that make me unhappy and dissatisfied when I can sit here and just be satisfied. I'm checking off the aspects yeah. of the word sukha right now. Mm-hmm. Content, satisfied, safe, secure. And that satisfaction is the important one. Why? Because dukkha is merely being dissatisfied. Yeah. So we could bring our mind to the point of being satisfied. If your mind is now satisfied and content, it's also drawing these factors together of the Eightfold Noble Path so that we begin to uh, develop now the fourth ingredient after right effort is Samasankapa, which is the right thoughts that we've been working on, and that at a deeper level is right attitude. Mm. We begin to have the right attitude that everything really is okay. The attitude of whatever happens, I can handle it because it's, after all, okay. Mm-hmm. And I'm strong enough and proud enough and, and smart enough that I can wake up and see what's going on. I can handle anything. Is, is that quality synonymous with equanimity? That is a, an aspect of equanimity. I would go so far as, if you, since you're asking the question, to define equanimity in the following way so that people understand it. Many people think that it has to do with balance. Hmm. Okay. Uh, okay. Uh, equi- equipose or, or, or balance. Keeping an even keel is another right. way of talking about it. Let's use some C language here. Okay. <laughs> okay. An, e- an even keel means that, in fact, the deck is flat and easy to walk on. And so the uh, so that the the deck is flat with the even keel, when the boat is tied to the dock. So a good way of getting um, uh, the, the boat to have an even keel is to tie it to the dock and get it out of the ocean. To find a safe harbor, to find some seclusion. Ah. Okay, to get away from the world and all of its turbulence so that it doesn't keep pushing our buttons so that we can um, go. But actually equanimity now, which is developed on, a, on the flat deck of the boat when it's moored, but the whole point is how can, can I walk on the deck of that ship when I, because I can't, st- I mean the whole point about having a boat is not to keep it docked, though many right. boats are like that their whole life. But the part of a boat is to take it to sea. And mm-hmm. so you could go to sea as the captain who has been well experienced at going to sea, or it can be your first time out, and we call those kind of folks landlubbers. <laughs> okay. And so now in some turbulence, you've got a, let us say, a 100-foot sli- uh, ship uh, uh, fishing boat, a big fishing boat, a trawler, not quite a trawler size, one that's going to really respond to the ocean. And so the boat's going up and down like this, and the captain sees that he's got to go from the uh, um, uh, from the bow to the stern, and he just goes from the bow to the stern with the boat at sea. But the landlubber says, I'm going to go with the captain, and he goes from the bow to the stern, and he has one event after another. 
because he does not mm -hmm. have something that the captain has. The captain has what I call sea legs. Mm -hmm. That's the equanimity. So that even though the deck is okay. going like this, the captain is still able to walk on it and get down to where he's going. And in fact, he's got no trouble with the, with the deck going all over the place to where the guy who's not used to that kind of stuff, when he's out in the world, he's going to be knocking against the cabin, knocking against the railing. He may be heaving over the side or actually going over the side. Yeah. Because he doesn't, yeah. he doesn't have the tools that he needs. He doesn't have that, able to, uh, that ability to balance. Okay, so another yeah. example then, taking that away from us and going now to the child's playground and looking at a teeter-totter. Okay. Right? And we can think about the teeter-totter. What's the point of a teeter-totter? The, is the point of the teeter-totter to get the thing just to balance really level, maybe take a few stones and put on one side or the other so that you can get the, the teeter-totter to just balance there, and now it's an equipose or it's an equanimity? No. No. The teeter-totter is built to be an equanimity when it's going up and down and up and down, and then the kids can play. Mm -hmm. Okay. I see. Yeah, that's a good rate analogy. Right. So the so the teeter-totter has a value to it, but if all the kids are on one side of the teeter-totter, they're not going to ride. And the old trick is, as soon as it goes down on my side, I scoop my butt off, and now it's high in the air, and now the child on the other end is going to go crash landing. Because it's not so balanced anymore, and so it doesn't go up and down and up and down, and go, boom! <laughs> Which is exactly what happens to the land rubber on board ship. Yeah. <laughs> and he goes, bang, right into the cabin. <laughs> so... That's a way of looking at equanimity is, is okay. that do we have what it takes to handle the fact that things are not going to be as stable as we would like them to be? Hmm. That in fact, wanting stability is wanting something we don't have, and that's stuka. Right, yeah. Resisting the way it is. Mm hmm. Yeah, okay. And not only that, but the fact is, is that when things are unbalanced, we only call them unbalanced because we don't like it. Yeah, our preferences but, get in the way. Right, and our preferences get in the way, and we can call those preferences hindrances to being good to go. Yeah. Right? Absolutely. Oh, I'm not going to crawl into that automobile. It's got a dent. Not going to get anywhere. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, so, what the practice of Anapanasati is, is over and over again in this present moment to wake up, to remember, to look at what's happening in the mind. And generally, um, we're going to find hindrances. But it's also, for an experienced meditator, you may wake up and reckon, there ain't nothing going on. Isn't that marvelous? Mm -hmm. And that's mm -hmm. the thought. Ain't that wonderful? And that's a very wholesome thought, that things are already okay. All right? But we're not okay. What are we? We're critical. 
So I'd like to introduce, and we'll talk about it a lot later, but when a mother gives birth to a child, the first thing happens is the bonding. Mm-hmm. And then along with that bonding comes nurturing, and the child must be nurtured or it'll die. Mm-hmm. But after a while, because the mother is living in society, she can't stay with nurturing all the time. She begins to start relying upon the child, bring me that diaper, hand me that broom, help me out, do your part. Mm-hmm. And by the time the child is six years old, it's sit down and learn your ABCs. Drop that cell phone and put, do your homework. Clean up your room. And now the whole thing has changed from nurturing into critical. And so now the child is learning to live in a critical world, the critical world that mom grew up in first as nurtured when she was a babe. And then she was turned critical by her parents. And so she's training her children to become critical because that's what the society expects. I mean, after all, we don't want any preloaders now, do we? Hmm. Very interesting. Very interesting. Right. So we come up with this thing called a critical mind, which is quite unwholesome because that critical mind is looking at things as good and bad, good and bad, and the good we want and the bad we want to get rid of. We want to increase the good if we if we see it. In fact, here's the point. Down to the basics of the Anapanasati, excuse me, of Paticca Samupada, there's a thing called Vedana or the feelings, and those feelings at mm-hmm. this basic level is the feeling of liking. I either like it or I don't like it. This is what, when it goes wild, it gets polluted. But if it is done wisely, then you can just appreciate that there are things you like and things you don't like, and that's okay, that's just it. You just leave it at the level of, of that feeling. And in fact, because you have such wisdom, you can actually change the way that you feel about it. Mm-hmm. Because you have, you can change and have a noble attitude that you don't have to dislike it or like it. You can genuinely accept it as a friend in a yeah. more higher, noble way. Okay, so this is changing it then from critical to nurturing. Mm-hmm. That that critical is good or bad, yes or no. Judgments, bars to crawl over. Uh, goals to reach, and it also becomes very um, future-oriented or past-oriented. In other words, now you get the benefit of something that happened in the past, or now you got to do something in order to get the results in the future. But with Anapanasati practice, we're practicing for things right now happen. The, The now is the doing, and the now is the result of the doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we're talking about <clears throat> split second timing, <laughs> not not lifetimes timing. Right, right. Yeah, that makes sense. So wanting for something that we don't have and longing for something that we don't have is dukkha. Mm-hmm. But wanting something and getting it right then is satisfaction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Okay, so. If we keep our mind wholesome enough, then we only want things that are immediately available. Continuously bringing us back to a state of satisfaction. That cannot be done with a critical mind because a critical mind is always going to want what it likes 
and wants to kill what it don't like, which yeah. is an action that needs to be done in the future. And I have to, with liking and not liking, have to postpone my gratification. But if I'm nurturing, then I get the benefit of it right now. Hmm. Yeah, and that so benefit. Yeah. Uh-huh. And so now we can go into it in the sense of the wrong view would be, no, I don't like it. An ordinary right for, would be, yes, I like it, I want it. And noble right view is everything is okay, everything is fine, I'm already satisfied. I don't want anything, and I don't have to judge anything to find out whether it's right or wrong, or up or down, or good or bad, or even that I like it or don't like it. Or I'm nurturing now. Completely, I nurture. I don't have to choose what to nurture. Yeah, that's interesting. The The universe decides what you nurture. <laughs> well, we could even go so far as to call it fate. Mm. And or we can call it what's happening. Mm -hmm. But whatever's happening is always happening right now. And that's how fate is to be seen. Most people think that fate is a long-term thing rather than your fate is what's happening right now. This is your fate. Ooh, I've never thought about it like that. Yeah, the fate, the fate is emerging every moment. Every moment, this is your fate. It's not something way out in the distant future that you'll have to deal with. You've got to deal with it right now. Yeah, what else is there to do? <laughs> exactly. That's all we there ever is to do is to deal. And we can either deal with our fate happily or unhappily. Mm -hmm. That in fact, uh, let me take it just a second to go into something a little bit deeper. In yeah. the fact of looking actually at the levels, because this is okay. quite valuable. At the lowest level is hot war, violence, struggle, kill or be killed. Okay, that's the lowest level. The next level above that would be called the Cold War. Okay. You know what that is. The next yeah. one after that would be the peace that is tolerance. You don't attack me and I won't attack mm -hmm. you. But boy, if you attack me, I'm coming right after you. Which That's is basically right. pretty close to Cold War. Yeah. With and without the undertable jabs. <laughs> so, the next level above that, which we could actually call tolerance. I tolerate you. Mm. Well, boy, you step out of line and we're going back to warfare. Okay, the next mm. level is acceptance. This is what a lot of Buddhists are all screaming about, but this is still ordinary. There's just acceptance in the sense of we're pretty close to toleration, but I'm going to work really hard to stay above toleration. The next level above that is getting more noble, and okay. that is friendship. I'm no longer just tolerating him or even thinking of him as an enemy. Okay, so like in Christianity, do good to your enemies, that's ordinary right view. Mm -hmm. Not having any enemies is noble. He's not my enemy. 
Even if he thinks I'm his enemy, that's his problem, not mine. Yeah, it's his world. His worldview. I see. Mm -hmm. Okay. Right. Mm -hmm. he, can, he creates his own world. I can't make him change his world to be my world. I'm having enough trouble getting my world correct <laughs> <laughs> with all the mothering and daddying I've had <laughs> to deal with, to throw out. Okay. And so then the top level from that, and, I, and we need to talk a lot about that level of friendship because the entire Sangha is based upon it. Yeah. That's what Western uh, Buddhism is missing, is that it's missing Sangha. It's missing that deep, close relationship that the monks have by living in close quarters with each other. Something mm -hmm. you uh, that people know in the West happens uh, with, let us say, sometimes in battle, that friends bond, and then even after the war, they still are in close communication with each other. Right, right? yeah. They really had a bonding. That bonding then means that now they're nurturing each other and they're not being critical of each other anymore. That's yeah. what friendship is all about, is that we don't hmm. criticize our friends. We nurture them instead. Because anything that I can benefit my friend for is also <laughs> a benefit for me. Partly wow. because if he likes what I do for him, then I'll like it because he likes it. Yeah, that's really beautiful. <laughs> wow. And so this is why the Buddha says that friendship is the whole of the Dhamma. You can become friends Jeez. with yourself. Which means that we stop having unwholesome thoughts of being unfriendly with ourselves. It's not mm -hmm. that we become okay with unwholesome thoughts. No, we change those unwholesome thoughts to be wholesome mm. thoughts. I see, yeah. So that we can become friends, that we're not just tolerating our own mind anymore, ready to go to war with it at any moment, mm. and become complete friends with it. So isn't there a fine line between uh, replacing a uh, wrong view or a, um, unskillful thought with something else uh, versus kind of just letting it be there, letting it do its thing and letting it go. But letting it be there is not letting it go. Letting it be there is clinging to it. Mm. Can't there be a situation where you're just watching it? Yes, and that would be ordinary sati, putting mm. up with it, tolerating it. It's still tolerating, okay. Accepting it, okay. Okay. And, and um, tolerating and putting up with the state of mind that creates those thoughts, and accepting and tolerating uh. and putting up with the feelings that are associated with that, and also ultimately the attitude that puts up with that. And so we're way down in the soup of ordinary right view. I see. Your, your tolerance applies to the entire pattern, not just the unskillful thought. Right. So basically now, the, the change of the attitude is that I can be, in fact, free from, from unwholesome thoughts. I will take the right effort that it takes to remove unwholesome thoughts. Mm -hmm. I will uh, investigation 
to examine, to guard, to make sure that each thought, in fact, is wholesome or can be converted into the wholesome. Mm. And when we can get to do that on a more or less regular basis, we will find ourselves naturally falling into the state of sukha. Yeah. Okay. That uh, the way of, of saying this is so profound. I heard it many years ago, and I think that this is something that I got from Vikka Buddha Dasa, but I don't have any reference at all. Okay. But what he said, I think, was is that we have for our whole lives talked ourselves into feeling bad. Now is the time to talk yourself into feeling good. Mm. I like that. Okay. That sounds great. <laughs> To talk yourself into feeling good means to have right, noble, wholesome thoughts. And that will be within the talking that you do that talks yourself into being in sukha, to being mm-hmm. in a state of relaxation and peace and, and happiness and contentment that then brings on a higher state of acceptance. Beyond friendship? It's not just acceptance. Pardon? Beyond friendship? We're higher than that? There is a state higher than friendship. And that we don't talk about it much, but I will introduce it to you in Latin. The Latin phrase is amor fate. Now, here the word fate in Latin actually is the word for fate. It's what's happening. Okay, and a more you already know, probably if you know anything love. about Latin, yeah. is to be in love with what's happening right now. To be oh, in wow. love with this <laughs> is to be really here, full. Mm. So when your friend open, when you open the door for your friend, it's not just he's a friend and acceptable to walk in the house, but he is given a warm hug. I'm glad to see you. Yeah, that's. Amor fati, to be really, really in love mm-hmm. with what's happening. That this is nice. This is really wonderful. What a wonderful day. Yeah. 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 And that kind of feeling also <laughs> is the feeling with Kitty. What a wonderful, mm. mar- marvelous situation this is. I have gotten myself into such a nice state. I'm the winner. And so it has the quality of congratulations. Has the quality of arrival. Mm-hmm. That the job is done. Mm-hmm. And this present moment is the, is the goal. If there was a goal. And here is the result of that fruit. And isn't this marvelous? Because I'm now in love with this present moment. Is that actually the end? Or it just feels like the end? Well, if you can do that, why do you want an end? Yeah, You're already yeah. <laughs> satisfied. Why do you? Why do you want more? I Magical yeah, no, thinking, I agree. no yeah. doubt. Right, right. <clears throat> so we have to recognize that if I'm really, really satisfied with what's happening, I don't need any more than that. Let's put mm-hmm. it like this. Let us say that there is something out there that the Western Buddhists talk about, think about, and kind of define, and we're going to label that thing called enlightenment, mm-hmm. or arahat, or, because that's, that's where it's used also. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, if the arahat 
still has issues that he has to go to a psychologist for, <laughs> or if the Arahat has to redefine what he means by Arahat so that he makes sure that he fits into it. <laughs> then that, this, is, this is different than being absolutely satisfied with this present moment. For instance, right. if you're really, really satisfied and got everything you need, then why would you want to be also, besides completely satisfied, enlightened? Why should I also want a title? Arahat. Because mm -hmm. I'm already good to go. I've already got everything that I need. I've collected yeah. everything that's needed and useful together. And this is what is called the uh, unification of mind. When the mind becomes whole and unified, then our sila mm. becomes perfect because we don't want anything. If I don't want anything, then I'm unlikely to kill anybody for it. If I don't want anything, <laughs> I'm unlikely to even hit him for it or try to right. take it away from him or even talk trash about him. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that totally makes sense. Anything. Yeah. Yeah. So when the mind is noble, we're good to go. Everything's okay. So isn't isn't all of that first jhana? Yeah. But aren't there eight jhanas? Like why why continue if we've got what we want? That was why that was the awakening of the Buddha. By the way, there's not eight. There's four. Okay. One, two, three, four, and it talks about them one, two, three, four. And when it's discussing the fourth jhana, it's just discussing aspects of it. And it tells you that these are aspects of the fourth jhana. And somebody has come along to these aspects and labeled them five, six, seven, and eight as if uh, they were separate jhanas rather than actually being aspects of the fourth jhana. Okay. But all that means is that the, the mind is really, really sharp and really, mm -hmm. really clear, but incapable of responding. Mm. So if you go into a state that's completely mindless, where the mind is stopped altogether with the kind of a strong, say, determination that kept that going for 24 hours in the United States, and you're in some deep, deep state of actual jhana, mm -hmm. and you remain there for 24 hours, you will probably wake up in either the morgue or in the ICU. <laughs> hmm. So you better get yourself secluded from those guys because they're going to charge you a lot of money <laughs> to watch you wake up. <laughs> oh, you dear. You did that all okay. by yourself without their help. Okay. okay, so a minute ago you said when the Buddha awakened, that was the first jhana? That's the first jhana. It is referenced wow. in the sutta, number 36. Okay. In fact, I haven't read it to any student for so long. Do you mind if I get the book out and actually yeah. read it to you? Okay. Please, yeah.
I thought. Whenever recluses or Brahmins in the past have experienced painful, racking, piercing feelings due to exertion that is the utmost, there is none of this, that whatever recluses and Brahmins in the future will experience painful, racking, piercing feelings due to exertion, this is the utmost. There is nothing beyond this. And whatever recluses and Brahmins have uh, at present experienced painful, racking, piercing feelings due to the exertion, there is the, uh, this is the utmost. There is none beyond this. But by this racking, piercing practice of the austerities, I have not attained any superhuman states, any distinction in knowledge and vision worthy of the noble ones. Could there be another path to enlightenment? In other words, mm -hmm. the Buddha here, that's when he was really skinny because he was practicing the austerities and he was so good at it that they thought that he was marvelous at being so good at it. And he's pointing out here that he was the very best. That there, even into the future, there's going to be nobody that can practice austerities and hurt themselves as much as I've hurt myself. And yet, yeah. I didn't get anything out of it. Wow, yeah. And he did that after he did jhanas, which he came to the same conclusion with the jhanas, that no matter how much someone practice I've gone as far as a human being can go in the practice of the jhanas and I come to that same point I have not attained any supernormal states any distinction in knowledge and vision worthy of the noble ones could there be yet another path to enlightenment so so are you saying that he achieved enlightenment and then kept going and realized there was no. nothing and came back? No, I'm saying that he practiced all the way to the end of the jhanas and found them unsatisfactory. Ah. And then he went and practiced the, uh, um, the austerities to their absolute end and found them also unsatisfying, unsatisfactory. Okay. Okay. I considered... I recall that when my father, the Sakyan, was occupied while I was sitting in the cool shade of a rose apple tree. Have you ever heard of the rose apple tree in mm -hmm. reference to this? This is it. This is the scene of the rose apple tree. Mm -hmm. I recall that when my father, the Sakyan, was occupied while I was sitting in cool shade of the rose apple tree, quite secluded from sensual mm -hmm. pleasures. Okay, quite secluded from unwholesome states. I entered upon and abided in the first jhana, which is accompanied by the factors we've talked about, applied and sustained thought with rapture and pleasure, that's the sukha and, and pity, born of that seclusion from the hindrances. So he's actually redefined the first jhana here to make sure you got that he's talking about the first jhana, period. Okay, got yeah. There's all five factors sitting right there in front of it. I entered upon and abided in the first jhana, which is accompanied by applied and sustained thought, there's two of them, and is accompanied with rapture and pleasure, sukha and pity, born of seclusion from the hindrances. All five of them right there. Could that be the path to enlightenment? 
Then, following upon that memory, came the realization, this is the path to enlightenment, is the first jhana. I thought, why am I so afraid of the pleasures that have nothing to do with sensual pleasures and unwholesome states? I thought, I, why am I afraid, though I am not afraid of that pleasure? since it has nothing to do with sensuality and unwholesome states. And then it goes on to talk about that he recognized that he was not ready. I considered it is not easy to to attain that pleasure with a body so excessively emaciated. And so that's Mm -hmm. why he decided to start eating, and that's when his friends left, is because he got fat in a hurry. If you're eating, Melt rice after being on a seven-month diet, uh, diet of one or two rice grains, you're going to have a nice little round belly in a day or two. <laughs> uh, have you? I think it's uh, Ramdas says if you think you're enlightened, spend a week with your family. But it sounds harder to remain enlightened after getting to enjoy food <laughs> after so long. Well, that's it. I mean, um, it's as clear as okay. he could possibly make it. it, it and yeah, it's clear. The entire Anapanasati practice is designed around that first jhana of get okay. the mind into that first jhana. And the Eightfold Noble Path is nothing but the, the list of skills and the way to bring the mind into that state of first jhana. And when the mind is in that state of first John, it is organized, it can think clearly, it has wisdom, and, and it doesn't want anything because it's satisfied. And mm-hmm. therefore, it is noble. First jhana is noble, so long as the first jhana lasts. Mm-hmm. question is, how long can you sustain it, and when you lose it, how easy it is for you to get back into it? Mm-hmm. Interesting. Okay. It makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. And uh, it doesn't take long to get into it when you know how and practiced. A couple of breaths can get you into satisfaction, and mm-hmm. you're going to remain in that state of satisfaction until some shit happens. Yeah, I, I mean, that's my experience. And that most of that shit happens inside our own mind, and we think that the shit happens inside our own mind because we think that it's shit that's happening outside. And they say, oh, there's shit out there, therefore let me have some shit in here too. And then and we've lost our first John, and we're back into ordinary mind again. But, but realizing guard, that... We can say, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, Go ahead. that's the practice, right? Realizing that your hindrance is shown back up is is like the quote the magic or whatever right right so the development is that sustained thought can we sustain it Mm. and we do that by being on guard for every thought so that we only allow wholesome noble thoughts Mm -hmm. and any thought to do something is not noble and any thought of Things are already done is noble. Job's finished. Hmm. Yeah. So this suggests that the first jhana is 
something that can be um, sustained through throughout the day, right? Through your through your normal activities. Well, I would say that uh, the first important skill is to get into it really quickly. So even if you do get out yeah. of it, you can pop right back in. But it, so is, it is possible, though. Right. It is possible for you to be noble at any point in time. The yeah. question is, can you remember to be noble at any point in time? <laughs> okay. Yeah. As opposed to looking at it all day or long periods of time. That's ordinary way of looking at things. Uh, yeah. Rather than looking at it sustaining from this moment to the next moment. And then in the next moment, I'll sustain it from this moment to the next moment. And I don't have to worry about all day or tomorrow or the right. future at all. I'm pleasant right now. Yeah. Yeah, there's no later. Especially if I have the attitude that later I can handle later. Right now, <laughs> I can handle now. And if I can yeah. handle now really well, I can handle later, later, quite well. Because mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I've got the skill of handling now. Because whenever later happens, it'll be right now. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So, can you clarify something? Then, he said you said that he realized that this was the path to enlightenment. Does it, the word "path" there does that imply um, the beginning or the whole thing? If we were going to be the beginning versus the whole thing, the beginning would be the development of the skills, and the whole mm -hmm. thing would be developed skills. Okay. I guess that my confusion is that I, my understanding, or my, what I thought was that the you had to progress through all of the jhanas before I you know. could even consider. There's some dirty, dirty people out there that are grasping and clinging for things they don't have. So, so that is actually just false. You don't need to go through the, all the four necessarily. If you were satisfied with the first jhana. Huh. Yeah, okay. Then the, uh, then the higher jhanas are just toys to play with. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> that's, uh, that's, wow. Yeah, that's incredible, actually. And so the genres are just something to do when you've got nothing better to do because you got nothing to do. And so you <laughs> might as well do nothing very well. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Okay, now in in one particular sutta, the name of the sutta, in fact, is the uh, Dhamma Chakra Vibhanta Sutta, the turning of the wheel of the Dhamma. And this sutta uh, is actually in the Samyutta Nikaya, which means that if this is, in fact, the sutta that people claim that it is, it's in the wrong place. That if this was the sutta that people claim it would be, it would be either in the Sutta Napata or the, in the Udana. So this is probably later. But it's telling the story of the first sermon, the turning of the wheel of the Dhamma, the Dhamma Chaka, the Chaka Bhavanta, the turning. The turning of the wheel of the Dhamma is supposedly the first uh, sermon that he gave to his um, cohorts. Mm -hmm. And we know the names of some of them. 
I think someplace so all of the names are known. These guys, by the way, left the palace with uh, Siddhartha when he left. Oh. And he did not leave because of some mythological old age, sickness, death, and monk. He left because of politics. There's been quite a lot of research done with that. And his oh, parents really? knew all about it. Right. Huh. That, uh, that uh, Siddhartha had gotten himself into uh, a position to, uh, that put his dad's um, power in jeopardy. Oh, wow. Okay, how did he do that? Okay, just to, <laughs> just, just <laughs> short, because we got other stuff to do. Yeah. And that is, is that the river changed. When floods happen, rivers change. When the rivers change, that means that who owns what land changes as opposed to which place can mm. be planted grain enough. And that the two sides started fighting, the Sakians and someone else, I don't remember his name. And, and so they were warring and the Buddha kept trying to get them to settle it. That either each of them plant half. But they don't have it so that we either get that land or you get that land and we get all the food and you get nothing was the only two sides that they were there for. And the Buddha mm. kept wanting to try to work it out. And the Sakyans wouldn't have anything to do with it. That's their land. I don't care if the river changed or not. That's ours. Mm. And the other guys were saying, yeah, but we need that land because or something. And so you can see that, uh, so the Buddha actually compromised. So here he goes trotting hmm. out. These guys stay with him. One of them, by the way, was his horse groom. He took and rode a horse and went with him. He was a prince. They eventually yeah. let the horse go free. But the groom, he not only brought a horse with him, he brought a man to him to tend to his horse. His name <laughs> was Chanda. And he stayed with oh, the yeah. Buddha. And he was a um, um, long-standing, uh, 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 well-regarded uh, monk. Um, so anyway, he told this, this story. There's other stories about those guys, but we'll forget those right now. And go to the first thing he said was uh, um, the middle path. Before mm -hmm. he talked to them about the Four Noble Truths, he mentioned the middle path. Now, these guys have been going off in the same direction, doing the same things that he had been doing. And that in this regard, he's talking about the sensual pleasures that people want from jhana. And yet mm -hmm. every Western mind, when they read this sutta or think about it, they think that the middle path is the middle path somewhere between the brothel and the rack. <laughs> okay. Okay, yeah. Well, what the Buddha is actually talking about are states of mind. The middle path is the distinction between wanting things, including wanting jhanas, and austerities, or being hard on ourselves. Uh, mm -hmm. Back to the critical mind. Mm -hmm. That the middle path is the path of nurturing. Mm -hmm. Okay, now in mm -hmm. practice, what that means is, is that this this uh, place where we get to where the mind is satisfied in the middle is not for it's not the higher jhanas but it is also not hindering us any further in the sense of the austerities that really what we're talking about is is that when the mind is free from jhana and the free for the greed for the higher jhanas it's the first jhana is the middle path in the sense that if you actually fall out of the middle path, you're not falling uh, into another middle path if you fall out of first jhana. 
you fall into hindrances. Uh, All right. So the actual middle path that the Buddha is pointing out is the path of first jhana. But it's it's actually can be seen that way in the suttas in the Pali. But the translations into English miss that point. Wow. Yeah. But the middle path is actually the path of first jhana. Wow. <laughs> is okay. to not go one direction or the other, just to stay in this steady state of everything is okay. Yeah, just being with this. Yeah, wow. just being in love with this moment. What's happening? I'm more fucked That's awesome. That's beautiful. That is that is exactly the teaching of the Buddha, and there is so much evidence of that's what the teachings are. But there has been so much stuff added to that by people who didn't quite understand. And one of the biggest problems has been the translations and now the dictionaries. So modern translations use bad dictionaries mm-hmm. to translate. Who did the dictionaries? The ones who did the first translations, because we didn't have original dictionary. Right. They had to invent them. And so um, where I'm coming from, let's look at it like this. Imagine that there is a research article PhD on particle physics mm-hmm. and that this was research done in Germany and it needs to be translated into English. Who is going to translate this uh, scientific article on particle physics out of German into English? Someone who speaks both. And if that's what happens, you're going to get a really bad translation. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. a foot on each side. What you need is a particle physicist who really understands deeply German. Yeah. And has enough English and enough English friends that they can work out what the translation should actually be so that you get an actual Uh. research article out of the effort. That didn't happen with Pali. You had people who did not understand the Dhamma translating the Dhamma into English. Wow. And they didn't know the language, Pali. Didn't know the Magadhi language (laughs) and they didn't know the Dhamma. All they knew was English and how do we get started now? Wow, that makes so much sense, yeah. That's why there's so much Christianese in Buddhism. Ah, what Christianese? Monk, nun, temple. Shall I go on? Prayer, <laughs> chanting. <laughs> in, in fact, bowl. Huh. Because the monks don't carry a bowl, they carry a pot. Yeah. But you would not have a pot on a Christian altar. You'd have a bowl. Oh, and even yeah. though the word is right there, pot. They translated it into bowl. <laughs> and if you look at the monk's bowl, it's a pot. It's not a bowl, it's a pot. Yeah. Why? Because a bowl is designed to allow the air to escape. And a pot is designed to keep the heat in. Mm-hmm. Look at a kettle. Mm-hmm. Big old kettle. Look at the way they're shaped. They're shaped in a kind of a circle. Yeah. With a smaller lid than the belly. Look at a bowl. Right. The middle part of the bowl, it just keeps going out and, out and out and yeah. out. Mm-hmm. No, the biggest hmm. part of the bowl 
circ circumference-wise, is the lip, the lid. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Wow. But they didn't think about that kind of stuff. They just went merrily into the language that they knew without trying to investigate what was really going on. Well, yeah. Well, thank you for clearing, clearing that up. It's very clear now. <laughs> right. So when people ask me what translation of uh, the Pali they should read, my answer would be uh, complicated. But mm. basically, uh, the complication goes down to, number one, learn Pali. And number two, get a Thai friend who knows Thai that can read the Thai translation. That in mm. fact, if we want to do a new translation, it should be a committee effort with someone who is excellent in several languages. Some of them really know the Dhamma, but now we're going to translate the Pali, the Sinhalese, the Burmese, the, uh, the mm. Lao, the Thai, and the, Camp uh, the Khmer and take all of those translations and try to fit together what the English words should actually be. Yeah. And most of the words should be then where, uh, to the point of not translated with footnotes explain, explaining what the word actually means. Right. And not translated so that you leave words like bhikkhu uh -huh. untranslated. Hmm. Yeah. Sorry I'm about okay that. that rant about the translation. No, no it's, it's interesting to me. This, this. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, words are super important, so thank you. Absolutely. Because thought, uh, words are what we do for thinking. If we're choosing the wrong words, then we're not having noble th thoughts. Yeah. <laughs> Wow. So um, let's finish this up with yeah. the, uh, uh, the point about how to practice. The point to is to start investigating the mind to make sure that you have wholesome thoughts. Mm -hmm. Keep coming back to, to investigating the mind. What kind of thoughts did I just had? And if there are thoughts about the past or thoughts about the future or thoughts about things you want or thoughts about things you don't like, or thoughts that are hard to bring up, like sloth and torpor, or thoughts of doubt, then recognize mm -hmm. that those are hindrances. Mm -hmm. And thoughts about the past and thoughts about the future are nothing but just the restless mind. Worries, regrets, remorse, problems to solve, things to fix, jobs to do, mm -hmm. futures to carve, and none of it is satisfying. Mm -hmm. And so we take those thoughts and say, out you go. And I'm going to have thoughts about, wow, what a nice moment this is. Well, mm. I'm glad I don't have to think about that stuff right now. I could just relax, take a deep yeah. breath and just relax. Mm. Be comfortable. Abide. Those that kinds of that thoughts, word a lot, you right? can, yeah, to abide in pleasure. What pleasure? The pleasure of success, the pleasure of satisfaction, the pleasure of contentment, mm -hmm. satiation even. I've had enough already. Enough. Enough. Polau. Had it mm -hmm. up to here already. Had about <laughs> as much pleasure as I can stand. <laughs> <laughs> okay.
Okay. Yeah. So this is how we practice is to make the mind glad and to brighten it up. Allow yourself to feel really good. When you get to the point of you know that you this feels good and that you did it and that you're successful, make note of that with the point is, is that I can do this again. Mm-hmm. I could do this again. I, I, I got to sell myself into first genre this time. I can do it again. Right. And that's the skill to be developed, that skill of success. Yeah. And knowing that I can do it again removes any reason to cling on to it now. Oh, right. I know I can do this again. And we make note of that rather than later not making that note. We want it. We grasp and cling it. We try to get that thing again rather than recognizing how easy it was to get it the first time. Oh, yes, that's all right. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I don't have to want anything anymore. It's that easy to do. All I have to do is remember and take just a little bit of effort. (laughs) It seems too easy, but... (laughs) It is too easy. That's why people don't do it. It's too good to be true until they try it. (laughs) Oof. Beautiful. All right, well... Like I said before, I've had about as much joy out of this conversation as I can stand. (laughs) (laughs) But I really have enjoyed it. I've really enjoyed meeting you, Dan. I hope to see you again. Thank you so much, Tamarato. Okay. When will you call again? I will call you again, maybe next week. All right. Once a week sounds good. (laughs) Thank you so much. Okay. Go practice. Practice wholesome mind. Thank you so much. Okay, we'll see you. Bye.